On George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, we're looking at the waterlogged Canadian ghost Nazi horror film Death Ship from 1980. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to the always wonderful George Kennedy. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me is my usual Cinema Smorgasbord co-host, it's Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. What's going on with you? Well, I'm excited to talk about Death Ship, Liam. Death Ship. Liam, when I was talking on social media about the fact mm-hmm. that I was watching the film Death Ship, mm-hmm. I had a couple of people get confused. They thought I was watching the film Ghost Ship. Have you ever seen the film Ghost Ship? I think I've only seen, don't they have the opening sequence where the wire cuts everyone in yes. half? 100%. I've seen that sequence alone, and I have not seen the rest of the film. I, I, I'm i in that exact same boat. <laughs> uh, I'm in that boat, and I think a lot of people are in that boat, because it's one of those films where you see it on lists all the times of, hey, what's a movie that has one great sequence, and the rest of it's kind of forgettable? Ghost Ship is usually on that. Mm. Yeah, anyway. I, went, I went to one of these like great kills events where someone yeah. has just edited together a bunch of kills, uh, which honestly I find less fun than I thought I would. You know what? It's funny that you. Anyway, please continue, and then I'll tell you my thought on that. All I was going to say is that was on the list of great kills, and I thought, yeah, it's a good choice. But you know, I was watching like a thirty-minute compilation of head explosions <laughs> just recently, and I was like, this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to enjoy this. And like after a minute or two minutes of just constant special effect head explosions, I was like, I am not enjoying this anymore. What's wrong with me? I think it's just too much of a good thing, Liam. What do you think? Right. Well, it's like... um I, I kind of feel that way with poorly edited skate videos. Like what okay. work, what works <laughs> because what works for a skate video is you need to see someone rolling for a bit before they do a cool trick. If you edit a skate video where it's just trick after trick, you get worn out. It's no longer there's no lull between big sort of things and it gets sort of tiresome, you know? Like you, you there needs to be a rhythm to what you're watching. And when you boil down movies or or anything else to just explosions or violence it's not that interesting at first it might be fun but after a while it kind of just you know becomes one note ebbs and flows that's what we need right liam just like just like with the the ships themselves you need ebbs and flows Sure. I mean, I don't know anything about ships, but, you know. Well, we're going to learn all about ships today. <laughs> With a figure as towering as George Kennedy to discuss, we, of course, need a ringer. Joining us, as always, is the great Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane, have you ever seen Ghost Ship? Uh, I just looked at it because uh, I wasn't sure, and it's from 2002? Yes. Is that the right one? No. I believe I believe that's the one. But I noticed they copied the poster for... It's a uh, similar poster. But then again... Yeah. I am under the impression that even when it comes to Death Ship, the Canadian horror film from 1980 that we're going to be talking about today, I think a lot more people know that poster than they know the actual movie. I, yeah. Just like Liam, I, I remember seeing it in video stores all the time. Do you have any memories of, of the, uh, not the movie necessarily, we'll get into that, but of the poster for Death Ship? Uh, I have absolutely seen that poster before. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't necessarily remember seeing it in a video store, but I do have seen that poster. It's amazing. For- it's It's one of the great posters 
It is one of the great puzzles. I, I, I say that very sincerely. For those who haven't seen it, I mean, I guess you could look it up on whatever device you're listening to this on. But uh, let me describe it to you. It's a, a ship, a death ship, you might call it, where the front of it, the, uh, the uh, <laughs> is it the port? I don't know. I don't know anything about ships. The front of the ship has been made to look like a skull, right? The damage on the ship looks like a skull. It's very eerie. There's a lot of fog. There's a small kind of dinghy in front of it with some people looking on. And it says... Those who survived the ghost ship are better off dead. And it's kind of funny that it says ghost ship there instead of death ship now that I think about it. <laughs> no wonder people get confused by it. But that is the film we're going to be talking about today, 1980's Death Ship featuring George Kennedy. But before we do that, Liam and Sarah, we're going to talk about a commercial featuring George Kennedy. This is a commercial for Midas Muffler from the early 1980s. Now, Liam, do you know anything about Midas, this company? Uh, it's a muffler company. Is that right? So, like a like a muffler fixing. Like you go in, you pull in really quick. They do a quick fix, and you go. Is that right? Well, I mean, no. I mean, yes and no. They they, they can fix uh, mufflers, but they also fix other automotive things. It's basically just an automotive service center generally, and they have a lot of commercials. It's like uh, Jiff- is it like a Jiffy Lube? It's like I a, think so. I think I, I think I think they're in my town. There's a Midas literally right next to a Jiffy Lube, and I think I only choose the Jiffy Lube because it's like more familiar to me, you know what I mean? But I, I assume they did kind of the same thing. I famously, and we've mentioned this before, do not drive. So I don't know much about Midas outside of the fact that they were very commonly uh, advertised here in Canada in the 90s and 2000s. I don't know if they still do. I haven't watched a lot of commercials lately. Sarah, do you have any experience with Midas? Um, I know it. Um, I've never been to one, but I uh, remember it as a kid because the commercials would be on all the time. With the uh, that Midas Touch or Midas whatever their tagline was, yeah, I don't remember remember what we're about to see though at all. But that's probably because you know, as a kid, I wouldn't know who these people were, and so you know, I could tell they were like parroting movies. But you know, what Sarah is referring to oh, is sorry. a series. <laughs> no, it's okay. It, it it leads right into what I was just about to say. That in the early 1980s, there was a series of commercials for Midas made here in Canada. Here, here where I am in Canada, not necessarily where you are, featuring the great Lee Van Cleef, the famous uh, Western actor Lee Van Cleef, and a series of different character actors, usually well-known from Westerns, uh, including John Philip Law, Jack Palance, Henry Silva, and Bo Hopkins. And it basically, the, the, the crux of the idea of these commercials is that Lee Van Cleef is both some sort of cowboy who also works at Midas who is being approached in some way by one of these other people. And then he has to show that Midas is the best and that they can get their car fixed really quickly. And then the person begrudgingly are very impressed by it. And he's like, he's like this kind of mysterious Midas (laughs) repair guy. And that's what it's all about. But they take on the tropes of the Westerns that he's best known for. And they use some of the Western style music. And in fact, instead of me just describing it, Liam, let's have a little listen to Lee Van Cleef uh, encountering George Kennedy. Looky here, if it ain't the competition. I've had it up to here with all this tongue wagging about the top guns at Midas. Here, String Bean, I've heard how fast you are. Now let's see how good you are. Satisfied? All right, so you're good. That was a guarantee. But I'm warning you, Jesse, I'm going to tell every fast gun in this town where to find you. Wish you would. It's kind of lonely at the top. <laughs> now... Believe it or not, that that is about people fixing cars. <laughs> and it does indeed feature Lee Van Cleef and George Kennedy. Uh, Sarah, what did you think of this commercial? 
Uh, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. When I saw this, I was like, what? No, it's it. It's everything that I would want in a commercial, for sure. I went ahead and watched a few more of them, and they're all really amazing. And I particularly, and I'll put this in the show notes, there's a Henry Silva one where Henry Silva is, is driving a futuristic car, and he's some sort of future man <laughs> that is there. And, you know, the fact that they have this kind of, like, lifetime or long guarantee, he's like, ah, oh, I guess this is fine for now. And he's like, and Lee Van Cleef is like, and for the future, because it's, like, future guaranteed. And then he, this car just <laughs> vanishes. <laughs> it is pretty amazing. This one is less spectacular than that, unless you count the spectacular list, uh, <clears throat> the spectacularness of George Kennedy being included here. Uh, Liam, what did you think of this commercial? I mean, it's a lot of fun. I don't know that I understand how it's selling Midas per se. And I love that, like, George Kennedy just shows up and starts yelling and just never stops yelling. I mean, that's George Kennedy. Yeah, it's great. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like, the, uh, I guess what I'm saying is I love that this, as a as a per- celebrity, like as a personality that people are supposed to recognize, they're like, okay, so we really want you to beat George Kennedy in this. So just start yelling. And then even when you're admitting that he's good, just yell that too. Just never stop yelling. And 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 yet it works. Like you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense, you know? And meanwhile, Lee Van Cleef's just like, yeah, we're the fucking best. It's like so weird. <laughs> I like how many mental leaps your brain has to make in this. Okay, first you have to believe that Lee Van Cleef works at Midas and he's a cowboy also his his greatest uh villain his greatest competition in this area is George Kennedy who also (laughs) runs some sort of automotive place and they're gonna have some sort of confrontation hey it all works for me Liam what do you think about Lee Van Cleef are you a bit of a western guy you know, we've talked about this before. I'm yeah. not a huge Western guy. I've seen him in a couple things, but I feel like I need that. That's one of my holes is to watch more Westerns. Um, I, I think the ones I've mostly caught are a few of the more well-known spaghetti Westerns. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've liked what I've seen of him, but I'd like to see a lot more, honestly. Angel Eyes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he certainly is best known, even though he, he appeared in a lot of American Westerns as well. Certainly, I think his profile uh, was raised very significantly by Sergio Leone's Man With No Name trilogy. Yes. Yeah. And then a series of spaghetti Westerns in the 1970s as well. And of course, then he uh, even made his little comeback. And I shouldn't uh, dismiss it as little uh, with like Escape from New York in 1980 and then a bunch of ninja stuff in the 1980s. Uh, love, that. <laughs> love that Lee Van Cleef. How about you, Sarah? Lee Van Cleef, yay or nay? Uh, absolutely, yay. yeah. I love him so much. Um, I guess I really remember him. I mean, I saw him more before I knew who he was in sure. like Western TV shows. It just didn't register for me. But then uh, I started watching Spaghetti Westerns, and uh, I mean, he's just a shit ton of those. And he's always great, no matter uh, no matter what he's doing. I like that he he doesn't even have to say anything. He could just have that glare and stare and, you know, you knew you were about to eat shit if you got that look. So, yeah. um there's a channel here um in uh America. It's like one of the the major broadcast channels, but it's one of the digital ones where they just dump a whole bunch of stuff and yeah, there's yeah. one called Me TV. And um they show like gun smoke, but on Saturdays from like 9 a.m. to I don't know, three, it's all Westerns. Mm-hmm. And so I'll see him show up on, I mean, he's in everything. I'll see him in a, a Bonanza and then he'll be in a Maverick, 
You know, he's just, he's, he's everywhere. A wagon train. Yes. I love him. And he's just got one of those faces, right? Just one of those faces that just, like, like you were saying before, you saw him and you, you didn't even know you knew him until you knew who he was. And you're like, oh, I've seen him in all of these different things. Uh, but, but yeah. And, and I'd like the idea that even a little bit later in his career that he was getting, you know, it, it kind of all linked to those Leone Westerns, but he was able to really capitalize that in a lot of different ways. And I also like that in the early 80s that he could still play that role. He still looks just like he did in like 1966. Right. Uh, really, really good. For those who haven't seen For a Few Dollars More in particular, I really love that of the trilogy. It might be yes. my favorite of the That's three my favorite. How yeah. dare you? Uh, sorry, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> also, just just to leave Van Cleef one more time, he's in one of my favorite Twilight Zones, which is called The grave oh which uh also has i mean everybody in that is so great it's lee marvin james best who uh, most people know him as uh sheriff roscoe p coltrane but dukes of hazard (laughs) that's like his worst role he's such a great actor it's amazing anyway it also has lee van cleef and strether martin in it i mean it's just it's packed it's so good so look that one up grave Liam, will you be going to Midas now that you've seen this commercial <laughs> campaign the next time that your car uh, breaks down? No. Well, actually, the la- the last experience I had at Jiffy Lube was pretty not great. Uh, mm. So maybe, yeah, maybe I need to try Midas out. Although I know neither Lee Van Cleef nor George Kennedy will be there, so it'll be disappointing inherently. Liam, Liam you know the... You know the the uh, the story of King Midas, right? The guy who, if he touched yeah. everything, it turned to gold. Yeah, would that be something you'd enjoy if you touch everything, it, it turned to gold? No, that isn't that supposed to be? A, I thought it was a curse, right? A, a it, cautionary it, tale. Yeah, it's not. He wasn't like stoked on it or anything. He wasn't like, yes, look at all this fucking gold. This is great. Well, he wasn't first. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think once you realize the extent, <laughs> if you could control it, sure, I'd like some extra gold around the house. I'd like to not have to work a job. That sounds cool. But you can't if you can't control it, then it seems pretty pretty much a bummer. Continuing on with that thought, there was a commercial a few years back, a Skittles commercial. Do you remember the one I'm talking about, Liam, where a gentleman, everything he touched turned to Skittles? And yes. uh, and he was talking about his cursed life because he was working at the store and everything he touched, like he, he tries to answer the phone and the phone just turns into Skittles and he gets so frustrated he hits his hands on the desk and that turns to Skittles. Do you remember this, Liam? Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy that commercial? No! <laughs> Why not? That's actually one of my favorite commercials ever. Well, that's weird for you. Sarah, uh, correct him on how good that commercial is. Uh, I remember it and yeah, it's pretty good. It's good, uh, I don't funny... like Skittles, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what we're learning here is that you don't need necessarily need to enjoy the product. <laughs> I don't know anything about Midas uh, in order to enjoy the commercial, especially in retrospect. So what I'll do is I'll also link that Skittles commercial in the show notes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so hey. everyone could check it out. It does not have many connections to George Kennedy now that I think about it, but. I'll tell you one thing that does have a lot of connections to George Kennedy. The 1980 film Death Ship, uh, featuring not only George Kennedy, but also Richard Crenna, and some other familiar faces as well, especially if you're a fan of Canadian movies and television. (laughs) I'll tell you what, let us take a break. When we return, I don't think we've given away our thoughts on this at all. Uh, And and in fact, if you go to Letterboxd, the social media site for film fans, you'll see that this movie runs the gamut in terms of people's responses to it lots of one-star reviews bunch of four-star reviews as well and sincere ones so let us take a break when we come back let's see what we all think of 1980s death ship for your next vacation 
we'd like to recommend an ocean voyage with a difference. Scheduled. The crew is unavailable. The entertainment is unbelievable. And the entire passage is unbearable. Because this is a death ship, and all those aboard are better off dead. Death ship. Your holiday in hell. A mysterious ghostly freighter rams and sinks a modern-day cruise ship whose survivors climb aboard the freighter and discover that it is a World War II Nazi torture vessel. It's 1980s Death Ship, directed by Alvin Rakoff, um, a Canadian director who, who actually worked mostly in the UK in his early career, credited with the beginnings of the careers of people like Sean Connery, uh, even Lawrence Olivier, Rex Harrison. Uh, he gave Sean Connery his first leading role. In Canada, he's best known for the film City on Fire from 1979, which is like a disaster movie featuring Henry Fonda. Uh, it's garbage. It's really bad. But, I mean, it's it was a big movie at the time. If you look at his career generally, he's just done you know a lot of television work. Um, but uh, there was this period right around the time that Death Ship came out where he was making like kind of larger budgeted Canadian movies, ending with the film Dirty Tricks in 1981 featuring Elliot Gould. I had a VHS copy of Dirty Tricks, Liam. What do you think about that? That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Written by John Robbins, a British writer and director who uh, directed a lot of Benny Hill episodes in the 1970s <laughs> and then transitioned into working on American garbage sitcoms like Charles in Charge and The Munsters Today. Also written by David P. Lewis, who wrote a lot of American mystery shows in the 70s, including episodes of uh, Columbo, McCoy, and Ellery Queen. But most interestingly... Uh, written by Jack Hill, the director of Coffee, The Big Bird Cage, Foxy Brown, Spider Baby, very famous, uh, you know, exploitation director and writer. Apparently, according to the IMDb, IMDb trivia, at least, uh, this was actually scripted by Lewis and Hill, but attributed to John Robbins uh, for "quote unquote" Canadian movie business reasons. <laughs> now, this does necessitate a little bit of knowledge about the the system of why movies were made in Canada in the 70s and 80s it was for tax credits right and also the productions that we were able to come here to work that it necessitated that a certain amount of the crew were canadian which is why you see a lot of canadian faces show up in these movies also for convenience sake because they are available but what you also find is that there are you know little loopholes like this where you have a lot of americans or even british people working on stuff but it has to be credited to a canadian in order for them to get those tax credits to make it worthwhile for them to shoot in this country, uh, this film stars Richard Crenna, George Kennedy, of course, Nick Mancuso, uh, Kate Reed, Saul Rubinek shows up briefly, but really the only actors that you really need to be paying attention to are Richard Crenna, George Kennedy, maybe Nick Mancuso briefly, but uh, even he has a very <laughs> inauspicious end, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Let us start with our general thoughts. Over to you, Sarah. What did you think of Death Ship? I know it's probably not, I mean, it's not, it's objectively not good, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I had a lot of fun with it. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, I had a Wikipedia page out. I was looking up Nick Mancuso because I couldn't remember what he was in. And I was looking up Kate Reed 
And then uh, my husband famously said uh, of Victoria Burgoyne, that should be the Joanna, Joanna Cassidy role. And then when she's in the shower naked, my husband was like, boy, do I really wish that was Joe Cannon or, uh, Joanna Cassidy in that role right now, <laughs> which made me laugh. So it's it's not good, but I had a lot of fun with it. I did. I have to agree. And I also have to say, and I'm not just saying this because this is a George Kennedy themed podcast. One of the things I really like about this movie is that when George Kennedy gets, and this is a bit of a spoiler for those who haven't seen Death Ship, when he gets possessed by the spirit of a Nazi ship, he goes so over the top with it. He's like, he's like, but he's also, it's weird that he, he he's possessed, he's acting like this possessed person, but he's also just kind of acting like he was in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie <laughs> right. when they were establishing that he was just this asshole who is being forced to retire because he can't get along with people. It's just a really weird role, but boy, did I have a lot of fun with him in it. And Liam, I hope that doesn't poison what you're about to say about your thoughts on 1980's Death Ship. It stinks. No, actually, <laughs> uh, I... I, I, I I think I enjoyed it as much as hmm. y'all, but what I felt <laughs> weird about was that I I find myself having trouble remembering parts of it, which feels like it didn't, you know, like it didn't stick with me. Like right. while I was watching it, I'm like, oh, this is fun. You know, it's it if it wasn't for the nudity and for um there's a part where a gentleman falls into a net of bones, which should feel very silly, but they include jelly bits in the yes. net of bones. So mm-hmm. I actually found myself gagging a little bit. Oh my goodness. <laughs> because I was wow. thinking about that as like as like gooey flesh. Bodies are gross, but bodies that have been soaked in water are like gag the gag me gross. That's a gross thing to me. I mean, I so, think that's a universal truth that you're saying right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that <laughs> that shot was kind of gross. Otherwise, this kind of borders on Disney like. Like it's so light. It's all kind of like atmosphere stuff and not that much but there's a couple of scenes the torture chamber is a bit above like anything you'd want a kid to see but but still not gross gross you know what i mean and i mean that part where they're picking through all the teeth that have been removed from people's bodies yeah but again you could play that i i I guess there's not a lot of parts where i'd be like oh there's gore you know what i mean like there's not a lot of it's not a blood soaked film and if it wasn't for in fact the moment when a woman is soaked in blood who's naked i would say (laughs) it's a pretty light movie you could probably show it to you know a lot of younger people and not worry about it being too upsetting you could definitely Um, edit this for tv pretty easily easily right 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 right. but but uh, you know there are a couple of moments that are intense and like on one hand, I find the the big reveal, you know? It was Nazis all along as kind of like corny. On the other hand, it allows for some moments when 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 the dude is in the theater and he's fucking losing it because they just can't get the Hitler movie to come down no matter what yeah. they do. That's actually kind of a fucking intense scene. At first I was like, ha, 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 ha. it's so corny. And by the end of it, I'm like, all right, I'm bummed. I'm so fucking bummed. And like, they really I, pitch I, it high too. Like yeah, they are yeah. losing it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think to that extent, that's maybe what makes the movie more interesting to me is that it's this interesting combination for me of a little bit cornball, a little bit cheesy, but with a couple of moments that's like, if this was a Disney production and you pitch those moments, they'd be like, no, you can't fucking do that. Like that's, that's, that's (laughs) ridiculous. But then other parts are that kind of silly. So that combo I liked on the other hand, if you're like, okay, well then 
tell me specifically about this exact thing. There are parts of it where I kind of don't remember very well. So I don't know that it, it's a movie that stuck with me, except for a couple of like really, in, I wouldn't say intense, a couple of really memorable scenes here and there, otherwise forgettable, you know? I'm just going to stick with you just for one second, Liam, mostly to bring up something that you may have forgotten. Um, and that I, it just sprung to mind, and I had a question about it, which is that, so the plot of this movie is that there's this ocean liner that gets hit by this ship, which will not divert from the course. I guess like hundreds of people die. <laughs> they don't. They kind of gloss over exactly how many people pass away during this. A lot crash. of fucking people. But a kind of uh, a center uh, amount of the crew managed to escape. So you have Richard Krenner, who was going to be the new captain of the ship. You have George Kennedy, who was the old captain. You have Richard Krenner's entire family, including two children and his wife, and some other people as well, including Nick, Nick Mancuso, who was another crew member, and his girlfriend. So they find this ship. They climb aboard it. It seems to be entirely empty. We find out that it's actually haunted by Nazis because it was an interrogation ship during World War II. Okay. There's a part where they're, they find this film that's playing. It's like an old black and white movie. This is before they show Nazi stuff. It's, it's just a movie that they're watching. And one of the characters suddenly like breaks out in like boils and like turns into a monster. Like what was that all about, Liam? Great question, Doug. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was about uh, needing to do something because the movie was starting to drag. <laughs> I, I honestly, I have no... Like a lot of things in this movie, I have no logical... I mean, let's get back to the premise. Please. Uh, did the Nazis need boats to hide the torturing that they were doing? Like, this is the part of... Why would the Nazis need a torture boat? Right? Like, they seem pretty comfortable just torturing people on land. Like, what? why, why take to the sea for torture? Like, I, I don't quite understand the premise of the torture boat. I also don't know if these were actual things, and and they very well might have been. And I don't. Yeah, want maybe to speak I don't know. Authority. I just I just don't know. But certainly, it's supposed to be kind of a distillation of the Holocaust. But the thing is, this movie never mentions the Holocaust, never. and it never mentions that the people being interrogated were likely Jews. It, it doesn't mention any detail at all, and that kind of kind of. It's not that it reduces the horror necessarily, because we're all certainly aware of it watching it, but it's just a weird thing to excise from something that is obviously trying to tangle with it to a certain extent. Maybe they thought that it would be harder to make a, you know, sort of fun horror movie uh, to include that. Uh, Sarah, do you have any thoughts about the Boyle woman and why she, she, she suddenly... And really, the reason I'm asking this is the biggest problem I have with this movie, which is... And this is a, a problem I have with lots of haunted house movies, haunted items of any kind which is that we don't know what kind of power the ship has. We know it can possess people. We know it can move uh, equipment around and apparently drive around without fuel. But like, if it can make people sick and die, then like, it feels like that kind of power would be something you couldn't escape from. Why did this woman... Why did this woman get sick, is what I'm asking you, Sarah. Oh, because she ate the sweets. Right, she ate a mint. She um, ate two mints. Which two was, mints. That's what made me think. They were put, haunted mints. She put one in her mouth, and I was like, because I, I was like, ooh, she's eating some boiled sweets. Yeah. And then, <laughs> sorry, I have an English, my <laughs> my grandma and my mom are um, English, so, I mean, that's what they sound like. So, <laughs> but then she put two in her mouth, and I thought, what a pig. Why would you just, first of all, They've been there for 40 years. 
why would you think that was something that you would want to eat? But then when she popped another one in her mouth, I thought, oh, you're going to die, bitch. And she did. So serves her right. You know what? I didn't even connect those two things together. I feel so ridiculous. But oh, you're no, absolutely right. She let the demonry into her body. And yeah. And it, 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 it turned her into some sort of monster. Um, and, and I... <laughs> But it's still my my point still stands by the way that I yeah. don't know the limits of the power of this haunted ship and it made me like even the part and probably you already referred to it Liam one of the more famous scenes in this is Nick Mancuso and his girlfriend um, they they go off to go to bed I presume that they have sex uh, even though they're being scared by this haunted ship and she goes to have a shower and when she does it starts pouring blood instead of water. And I have to say, look, I'm not going to say that that would not be a freaky thing. That would be really scary. She really gets freaked out by it. She just loses it. And he can't get into the shower door. He can't break it down. She's getting covered in blood. And then, um, like, it, Nick, Nick Mancuso goes to get help. He gets Richard Crenna. They come back. And she's gone. And the shower is completely clean. And I'm thinking, oh, it maybe it was all in her head the whole time. Then we just see George Kennedy carrying her like she was a bunch of wood. And <laughs> she's covered in blood still. So I don't know, Liam. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I don't have a handle on how spooky this uh, ship is. You know what? I, I got to take it back. There was, in fact, a Nazi uh, floating concentration camp. Oh, is that what you were researching? Yeah, I was looking at this because – so my first thought was that uh, there was a ship that the Chileans used for torture that is still in operation – uh, and it was operating around the time that this movie came out. So sure. maybe this was like a reflection because a lot of the people who did the torturing for the Chileans were actually former Nazis who had fled to South America from mm -hmm. Germany. But uh, it turns out the there was a ship called the Cop Arcana that was actually a luxury cruiser before World War II that they used for VIPs. And then once the war started, it became a floating barracks for them to deploy soldiers. And by the end, because the concentration camps were so full, they started transferring concentration camp uh, prisoners to this boat for further awful things. So right. this is, I guess, then based on history – uh, though I don't know how much it's literally based on history, but there is some history to it. Because, you know, part of my thought when I was watching this movie is that, like, uh, nothing here makes sense. Like, when the guy gets caught up in the the wire and floated out over the water and he's just uh -huh. sort of thrown into the water, it just seems so – that whole sequence is less upsetting and more like uh, – like a Disney Channel sequence, you know what I mean? Like something that would be in like a goofy haunted movie, you know? And so like I started to think of this movie as maybe being a little less uh, tethered to reality. But now that I feel like maybe it's representing something that is actually terrible that happened, now I'm a little more like, okay, uh, okay, still don't know about the tone of the film, but uh, it's interesting to know that there's some reality to this thing. I do, I mean, I do like that concept. I don't think the movie makes a lot of it. The concept that, so much evil occurred in this ship. Sure. So much blood was spilled. So much innocent blood was spilled in this ship that it basically now functions as something that a receptacle where blood fuels it. It's it's basically something that exists all on its own. It just circles the world looking for more blood. I think that's a really interesting idea. It, it's obviously played very goofily here, especially with the possession angle and things like that. But it's also kind of what makes it. 
Now, fans of, of exploitation and horror in the 70s and 80s, particularly the late 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of movies that tangled with Nazis as villains. Uh, not Sometimes just, just the, 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 the sole subject matter was the debauchery uh, within the Nazi party. But also there were a lot of horror movies, things like Shockwaves, uh, Ilse Schiwolf of the SS, Zombie Lake, Jean Roland's film. Just wondering, just over to you, Sarah, any of these horror films appeal to you at all? These late 70s, early 80s horror films that deal with Nazis? Well, I, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anyone who follows me on Twitter or listens to me on this podcast. Yes, I've seen all of these movies. Uh, <laughs> Jess Franco has one called Oasis of the Zombies, which I yes. feel like is also Nazi, Nazi, but maybe I'm wrong now. Um, but yeah, I know it's really distasteful. I mean, there's like Salon Kitty. There's a whole bunch of sexploitation movies yes. with Nazis. Well, like Ilsa, I guess, too. Um, and, I, you know, they are super distasteful. And once you get through it, though, there's just... Uh, you get that pleasure of these Nazis just getting, you know, burned and murdered and killed. And so yeah. you get out, you know... They all get their comeuppance. And so, um, yes, I watch these movies. <laughs> it is. There are certain groups in our history um, that when filmmakers use them, they have no need or requirement or any pressure at all to humanize them. And I love that to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's, it's almost like, you know, it, Nazi. It's funny. Basically, it's you can trace it with uh, Quentin Tarantino's recent films right where it's like nazis slavers uh cult members people it's just like oh we don't care about the humanity of these people so do what you want with them <laughs> even then some people get a little confused with that i think liam do you have any um any horror films that feature uh nazis from this time period that you particularly enjoy i know enjoy is kind of a strange word in this particular case i, I mean i wouldn't say it's a strange word i think it's fine to enjoy these sorts of movies i don't I don't have a particular love for them, although I do think while Shockwaves isn't my favorite horror film, there are parts of it that I think are really great. You know, like right. I think they make good use of some of the imagery. It just starts to get a little boring as a movie for me. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I, I'm kind of medium on these movies. Um, I like, in some ways, I like how they function. You know, because it is true that like I, I having too much compassion for for fascists can be bad. But I also think like. This idea that like, well, you know, this is this is the ultimate bad guy. It doesn't get any worse than this, especially when some of these movies came out when like a there were also other terrible things happening in sure. the world. Absolutely. And B, some of the people responsible for these horrors were then just hired by the CIA. Like, yeah, I mean, like sure when does. this movie came out, people who did these things were working for the U.S. government actively throughout the 80s. So, like, it's just kind of like I, 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 I kind of find it. Uh, Though there are examples that I like, sometimes I think of it, like, specifically not knowing it was coming in this movie, which I should have. As soon as they said German things on the boat, I should have been like, oh, it's the Nazis. It's going to be Nazis. But I, I think, actually I have to say, Liam, I think you might have been the only person left on this planet who didn't know this was about a haunted Nazi I boat. had no idea this was about a haunted <laughs> I literally went into this other than, like, seeing the cover of the VHS and then, I guess it was on DVD, um, many times. Like, I knew the cover very well. I didn't know anything else about this movie. And then when they the Germans on the boat, I thought, is this going to be like a Nazi thing maybe? And then it was a Nazi thing. There's a part of me because it it is such a 
cliche that there's a part of me that's like, okay, all right. You know, and especially because I think a, a really sort of key example of that for me is actually um, Crawl Space, where it's sure. like he's not even the Nazi. He's like the child of a Nazi, but yeah. he still has the Nazi, it, you know, things in him. It just gets to the point where um, – it's fine, but I'm kind of like over. I think at this point, I would actually prefer, though I'm not a huge Tarantino fan, I think I prefer more of an exploitation movie where it's like we're still, you know, there's still lots of fascists catching a bullet, but it's a little more realistic and a little less supernatural. I I think when we cast fascists as like the ghosts of history, we kind of are doing ourselves a disservice, especially considering now where there seems to be a lot of very popular Nazis throughout the country. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Did you differentiate these kind of horror movies, things like Death Ship and Shockwaves, from what Sarah was mentioning, those kind of exploitation movies like Salon Kitty, Ilsa She Wolf of the SS, ones that are well, they're, they're they're supposed to be a little more realistic in their but still, you know, exploited it. Well, I got to take each of them on their own because I, so for example, I like Salon Kitty. I've seen it and I enjoy it. Ilsa, I'm kind of just medium on it, but I don't think it's, sure. I don't think it's the Nazi theme. I just think like that kind of movie just is like not my favorite, but I didn't think it was bad. I did try to watch one of the sequels. So I don't uh-huh. think it was, the, it was one of the many, like a much later sequel. I was like, oh, this will be fun and crazy. And I was so fucking bored. So like, I, I, I don't think the subject is, is enough for me, but uh, I, there are definitely like more realistic depictions of this that I, I think are very compelling. And I think of like fascist movies in general. So like, you know, uh, in a glass cage sure. is, is another movie that explores fascism. Like I, I, I think exploring fascism, both in realistic and supernatural ways is really great. I just think that, Nazis became the most easy example, not because what they did wasn't horrible, but because the audience knew what you were doing. Like the audience could identify immediately, oh, Nazis, I know about that. Whereas in other contexts, you might have to do some work to be like, here's what happened, because people might not know about the other sort of uh, uh, evil factors throughout history, you know? I was just thinking, Liam, I forgot to mention that when I mentioned that George Kennedy was carrying that woman who was covered in blood, that mm. what he then does is he raises her over his head yeah. and throws her into the water. Well, it says a prayer, very <laughs> odd prayer, and then throws her into the water. <laughs> While Richard Krenn is just watching, he's like, we got to stop this guy. <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> Sarah th- th- this is, as Liam was mentioning, this isn't a particularly violent movie. Do you have a favorite kill that occurs in this movie? And this is leading into a question me um i guess it actually would probably have to be uh nina is that her name no Lori. the when he holds her um over his head i think that's pretty spectacular it is pretty spectacular just throws her in uh, it's weird because the ship runs on blood and then he says it at one point you know the ship must have more blood so why would he throw her over the wall you know, into the sea. Was it because she was already dead at that point? Maybe. And also, like, it, did, it didn't look like the ship needed much blood because it covered her in blood. Right. <laughs> in so I think maybe she was already dead. It would have been funny if they had to feed her into the machinery, like actually just mulch her up in order to make the ship run. Hey, maybe that's another movie that could be made with the same sort of idea. <laughs> the reason I asked you that question is, okay, Nick Mancuso, um, he's very prolific actor. I think I know him best, and probably a lot of people do, as the voice of the breather from Black Christmas. But he's in this film, mm. and he's kind of like the Richard Crenna's second. And they're, you know, they're going around, they're trying to solve what the hell's going on. They they find that movie, the, the footage of Hitler, it won't stop playing. 
they start losing their shit like heavily. Nick Mancuso then runs and falls into like the hold of the ship, which is filled with water. A net rises up. This is what you were saying, Liam, and it's full of corpses, including like really gross-looking ones and kind of uh, uh, jellyish ones. It's gross. Sarah, how does he die in this movie? I asked the same question <laughs> because it's not like I mean the net folds up, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, but it's not particularly violent. No, nope. I mean it's a net, it's rope, and so I even said to my husband, I said, did did he break his back? Was he snapped in half? Because it certainly didn't look like it. it was just like he kind of just rolled over, and then I thought. I guess he's dead. And then they dropped him down. And then if he wasn't dead, he drowned. But yeah, yeah, he drowned at that point. It's just strange. It's, it's, it's like he was, I mean, it's almost like he got scared to death because he was freaking out so much. <laughs> but it was, it was really, it's really kind of strange. It like closes the net and the movie, it seems to make it very clear. Oh, this guy's dead now. And I'm like, well, how? He's just closer to these gross dead bodies now. <laughs> That's all it is. Liam, any thoughts? How did Nick Mancuso die in this movie? He was just so grossed out by all the jelly bits <laughs> that he just died of, of fright. I don't know, man. I, I was thinking this. I, at that point, I just kind of didn't care. Like, I just kind of was like, all right, what are we doing? Like, what's what's happening right here? And honestly, I think I was just focused on how in a movie that doesn't have a lot of gross bits, I found that bit particularly gross. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. Especially because there's a lot a lot of that outside stuff this movie doesn't tangle with very closely. For, for if you're thinking about it, it's there's an, an extra level of disturbance on top of it as well, right? Especially now, maybe even more so now that you know that it's based on a, on a real thing. It's funny that you mentioned Liam the idea of it being like kind of a Disney film. I never really thought that until near the end when George Kennedy appears with the rifle, and like the whole end of the movie involves everyone's dead except for Richard Crenna and his annoying two kids, which I'm not going to get into, but they are very annoying in this movie. And his wife, who is completely useless, and I don't mean to be mean, but she doesn't do anything. So his family all have to get on, like, uh, a lifeboat. So that's in the water. They're jumping off the ship, and the kids jump off the ship. They get in the lifeboat, and then George Kennedy shows up, and he's got a rifle. It's like you could almost excise this from any sort of supernatural thing. It's just a guy trying to stop this family from getting on it. And it's it's kind of strange. While I was watching it, I was like, oh, this family's not really in any danger. It's like a Disney movie. They're just going to get away, and, and it's going to be fine. Did not think that George Kennedy was going to be betrayed by the boat and then have his corpse fed into the machinery. But I, the rest of it seemed to play out. What did you think, Liam, of the ending of this film? So I like the idea of George Kennedy getting mad at the ship. <laughs> you do what I say. You know? like it's, I, I love, I love, I love that. Um, I do got to say though, like the 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 movie seems to suggest that the ship kind of let them think they got away, and then it just gets them on the next boat that they're on. Which I, I was thinking, well, that's a much better plan than George Kennedy's plan. Like the ship is clearly smarter than either George Kennedy or the spirit that possessed him because um, now it's got a whole new boat full of victims it can it can feast upon that seemed that seemed like a good idea but uh, you know uh, otherwise it is kind of corny you, you really believe they're just gonna get away and for for a scary ghost ship the fact uh, which I, I get it, it's a death ship not a ghost ship but you know what I yes, mean yes please uh, for a scary ship of death let's say the fact that they're like well if if George Kennedy can't shoot him with a gun, I guess that's it. I guess we just got to let him go. There's literally nothing we can do. I just do. think that it comes down to, oh, the ship's got to shoot these people. 
It's like you got no, you can manipulate anything. Just fucking dump them over the side or something. <laughs> I don't really get it. It's what I'm saying. But your, so your interpretation of the ending is that. So uh, d- just to give a little more detail, Richard Crane and his family get away, and then they see a helicopter flying overhead, and they signal to him, and the helicopter sees them, and the suggestion is that they're going to be rescued. But you think that the ship is basically just going to circle around and get whoever rescues them is going to get. Doesn't it? It does at the end. That's exactly what how it ends. Right. The ship hits the ship that they're on. Is that is that what happens at the end? I thought uh, it was. I, I, Sarah, I didn't see that. No. I, I don't think that that's what happens. Did it the, doesn't. Did the version you saw not end with a close-up of the death ship and the spooky music letting you know it rammed into the ship and then the sound of a ship ram? No. I mean, it does. It, it has this kind of montage oh. of the ship. A very strange one, in fact. That's um, suggesting, but with low budget, because they ran out of fucking money, that it gets the ship they're on. That's what happened. That's what that's supposed to suggest. I, I have to say, I did watch it. I guarantee you that that did not occur to me, that that was what was happening. There. Oh, wow. That's all that occurred to me, because I was like, oh, they're on the ship. And then they cut to the death ship, and I'm like, oh, shit, here comes a death ship. Then they cut back to the ship, and I'm like, oh, maybe they're okay. And then they cut back to the death ship. I'm like, is the death ship going to get them? And then when it made the crash noise, I'm like, oh, I get it. You couldn't afford to show another crash. Okay, I get it. That's oh, cool. weird. I mean, I mean, you could be totally right on that. Maybe almost certainly if I'm, are. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's how I interpreted the ending. Otherwise, it's the weirdest montage I've ever seen. Why are we seeing the death ship again? I don't I think I figured the reason we were seeing it is because this movie was limping to its 90 minutes. Do you remember that there's a part where Richard Crenna is chasing after George Kennedy, which would have been one of the slowest motion ch- chase scenes in history, and suddenly it just goes into slow motion? It reminded me of that part from George, <laughs> Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, where they said that the shows were running so short that like half the footage would have to be shown in slow motion yeah. in order to get to the yeah. half hour yeah. mark. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, is that how you interpreted the ending of this film? Um, did we see them? I mean, we assumed that they got onto the uh, Coast Guard helicopter, but did we see them get out of that and be on the ship? No, we oh, never see maybe them get I'm out making, of the Yeah, you're right. That's I'm making why an assumption. You are. An assumption. I think they ran into another ship. I don't think that this family, like a Coast Guard ship, or I, I don't think it was the ship that they were on. It could be, but that's not the impression that I got. But I mean, then, it wouldn't be beyond the film because when they get away, when Richard Crenna sees the boat go in a different direction, he's like, oh, we're safe. We got away from it. I'm like, oh, you don't say that in a horror movie. <laughs> You're fucked now. True. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is an interpretation I think that's very valid. It's just not one that really uh, crossed my mind. None of this movie makes sense, honestly. <laughs> like at the beginning, they showed uh, the, the Nazi ship and then they showed the cruise liner. But they were like at different times of the day for one. Yeah, right. Because yes. they kept trying to, like, they had filmed the death ship, which looked like it actually it was anchored. So I'm not sure how the anchor was down, but also it was speeding towards the cruise ship at one point. It's a death ship. But, sorry. <laughs> but they, um, but it was like it was still like day for night, and then they just threw like a darker gel over it. But then. It was dark on both of them. And my husband's like, well, wait, which ship is which? I can't even tell. Is this the the Nazi ship? And I'm like, no, because there's hardly any lighting there. He's like, yeah, but it's fully lit up. Because when they show you the engine room, I mean, it is. It's fully lit up. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. dark. But then the cruise ship, and so it's, it's very, um, it doesn't, 
the continuity is bad. The continuity and then can is I, bad. Yeah. yeah can I just say one more thing? Sure. That goes to this movie doesn't make any sense. So they're all on this ship, this uh, Nazi torture ship, and they're all scared shitless. Why are they on like opposite ends of the ship? Why would Richard Crenna and his useless wife send their children to sleep in other rooms yeah. at the other end of what seems to be not, like not even on the same floor or deck? Sorry, not floor. Not even yeah. on the same deck of the ship. I yep. thought, what the fuck? And my husband's like, I'm not the best parent in the world. But, you know, if I had two kids, one of them would sleep with me and one of them would sleep with you. Yeah. And we'd be yeah. in the same and room. And this is after they know George Kennedy has been, if not possessed, that he at least has lost his mind. Right. Right. And then um, Nick Mancuso, who I think he met uh, Lori on the ship because there was that weird conversation where, she, you know, he, she said, I bet you, uh, this is right after they have sex at the beginning of the movie, I bet you say that to all the girls. And he's like, yeah, I do. And then she's <laughs> like, she doesn't say anything. He's like, well, what do you want me to say? It's the truth. And she's like, well, I don't want you to say anything. And then they start making love again. So I think they just met. And then, so, you know, she's probably was punished because she had sex is what I'm saying. Well, later in the movie, remember, like, one of their last conversations, he's like, do you love me? And she's like, if you asked me before all this, I would have said no. But now? It's just like, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's been like two days, buddy. <laughs> I know. It was crazy. This, anyway, may not, so. this may not be a shock to either of you, but when they were making this movie, uh, this ship, the Nazi ship in it, it did not work very well. So they had like a couple of days of filming it out in the water, but most of the shots of it moving are just cameras circling it to give the impression of movement. So there's really, that sh- maybe that they were really limited in regards to what they could show in terms of the actual ship. My, my husband even pointed out, he said, um, there's no indication the ship is moving. This was yeah. after he also saw that it was anchored. He's like, the clouds are not moving. Mm-hmm. Like there's no movement in this thing. So yeah, it Absolutely. was, yeah. Let's talk about George Kennedy as Captain Ashland. As I mentioned before, he was the ship uh, captain at the very beginning of the movie, the captain of the cruise ship, hated people, hated uh, interacting with them, seemed like a dick to everybody. And then once he ended up uh, on the death ship, he gets possessed by the Nazis, probably because he's not a people person. And then he has a rather grisly end. Liam, I'm going to start with you because, again, as longtime listeners of this show know, you're, you, you were brought into this podcast unwillingly. What did you think of George Kennedy in this film? <laughs> <laughs> Unwillingly is a funny way to put it. No, I, I actually liked him in the movie. I mean, I think the grumpy, actually himself, George Kennedy, is is maybe a little excessive at the beginning. And honestly, when we're talking about it feels a little Disney, you brought up the end. For me, it was the beginning when he's yeah. like, I'm a grumpy captain. I hate everything. I especially hate children. It just feels like, oh man, it's this is like I get it. He's 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 a grumpy dude, whatever. But then once he makes the switch to being, uh, I don't know if he's possessed or influenced, but he, he's he's a Nazi guy now. Yeah. I mean, I was into it. I was into every moment of that. He puts on the uniform. He's t- he, we got to go check out the wheel room. He's reading trying the German sh- Bible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> reading the German Bible. He's like, no one leaves my ship. You know, after getting. St- Dad, by the way, with a what looked like a butter knife, like holy <laughs> shit, it, it just was. It's all of that was a lot of fun, and and it made me because of where the movie went. I found myself thinking, oh well, that's fine that everything 
at the beginning feels a little excessive, you know? Like, even the the whole point is he doesn't like the passengers because they all seem very frivolous. So then they're all ridiculously frivolous, right? Like, they have to live into his image of them. And they're just like, yeah! Like, everyone is, like, faking having the most fun in the world in a way that just doesn't feel real, you know? (laughs) It's, it's, all of that's so over the top, but I think it kind of works for where the movie goes. And all those people end up dead anyway, so you gotta feel bad for them a little bit, you know? But yeah, yeah, I thought he was The movie does not focus on their deaths at all. No, has no concern. (laughs) The movie's literally like, you only know these characters, it's fine. I just like at the end, remember, they find this uh, storeroom, like a, a, a cold room full of corpses, uh, which is also something you probably have to cut out of the TV version of it. But like the kids, they have to protect the kids so they don't look into the room. It's like, did those kids not see literally hundreds of people die, <laughs> drown all around them? Uh, I don't know how they even survived. Yeah, Both right. The kids were lower deck and so was Nick Mancuso and the other woman. They would have died instantly with everybody else who drowned. Yeah, you're right. You this know? whole movie takes place yeah, probably sorry. in some sort of afterlife. <laughs> That's true. They're all Maybe. already dead. Yeah, yeah, they're all already dead the whole time. Uh, Sarah, what did you think of George Kennedy in this film? Um, I think he was having a great time. Yeah, probably he could chew as much scenery as he wanted to. I too was wondering why was he just like miserable, Mike, at the beginning. He's just like sitting there and he's just like, and I thought, what the fuck? If you have to be there, you know, because I think of the love boat, how the captain's always there at the captain's table or whatever. Sure. My my husband's like, does he not rate a captain's table? It's like he just shuffles on in to wherever he wants to sit and then he sits for five minutes. But later on, as Liam said, it's because he's being pushed out, and yeah. so he's, and there's jealousy you know, in there as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. and so that, it makes sense at that point. But I think that he was having uh, a great time. I did think it was weird when he put the Nazi uniform on. If he, <laughs> yeah, although my husband's like, well, he was possessed; he didn't know. But he was I was also like, co- I mean, he was soaking wet before too, so I guess he had right. an excuse to change clothes. But if I was uh, got into a, a Nazi torture ship and I was mm-hmm. all wet. And uh, by the way, they didn't even put him in dry clothes. They just put him in the sludge in bed. And I'm like, he's That's just true. all wet. Everybody else changed clothes. Um, if I was putting on Nazi uniform, I'd probably take off all of the swastikas and Nazi regalia and just. I mean, this is a good rule for life that you're telling keep us the right thing. Now. Uh, yeah, yeah, but my husband's like, well, you know, he thinks he is a Nazi. And I'm like, well, okay. So, you know, but anyway, so I think he was having a great time. I had a great time uh, watching him. Um, You know, he is a really good actor, but in movies like this, it's almost hard to tell. (laughs) I mean, I know that sounds awful because, (laughs) you know, I don't even remember the name of the other movie we watched where he was barely in it for two seconds. Did it have Linda Blair in it? Am I remembering that wrong? Are we talking about the radioactive, not radioactive dreams? No, it was the one where he was like in the boardroom, and then maybe it was yeah. cryogenics or something. No, a brain, a brain dead. Brain, brain dead. dead. Yes. Yeah, when he's in movies like this, it's just like you know he's just kind of a name, and then he's just like you know a big lunky guy. Because I I know he's a good actor, but here it's just like he's just hamming it up, and he's having a great time. So I enjoyed it. I think he does bring something to this role that's pretty unique to him. I also think it's weird that they had to establish him as kind of an asshole 
so that when he gets possessed or whatever by this ship, that at first it's hard for people to tell because he's still just acting like an asshole. And it's just like, well, I guess he's okay. And then he's, you know, reading from the Bible and <laughs> confronting Richard Crenna in <laughs> in the ship's cabin and stuff like that. Uh, I really had a lot of fun with George Kennedy in this. I think that his performance sort of makes the last half of the movie. Uh, and especially it kind of brings it down to earth a little bit uh, and, and gets it away from that material that I I have trouble with in a lot of these kind of haunted house type movies where it's just like, again, the ship can seemingly do anything. It can always surprise us. You can never trust that any character is getting away. But once you put a human face on it, it's just like, oh, it's George Kennedy with a gun. When they get away from him, I guess they're going to get away. So it gives a, some more kind of distinct stakes. I would kind of recommend Death Ship. I think. I mean, if certainly if you're a fan of these uh, of of kind of atmospheric horror, it's certainly it's sort of a slashery type movie to a certain extent, but it has a little more atmosphere than that. It's a lot of fun. It's not something that you have to take too seriously. I don't know if I'd be tossing around four stars at it or anything like that, no. but it is a movie that I had a lot of fun with. Uh, Sarah, any final thoughts on Death Ship? No, I agree with what you say. I would give it, um, yeah, I wouldn't give it a, a four stars uh, unless they were just giving that based on George Kennedy performance. And even then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's let's not go crazy. Yeah, I, I'd give it, I don't know, I'd vacillate between a two, I'd probably give it a two and a half, actually. Um, I did have fun with it, but, you know, there's some, there's just some silliness there where... I had too many questions, but I think if they had more money, they might have been uh, been able to do it a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah. definitely I, I, the stink of Canada. Definitely the stink of Canada all over it. Liam, uh, you know, we don't ask for star ratings or anything on this show. I don't think Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, I'm, I, I'm glad that you did because I actually gave it a two and a half stars on Letterboxd. So I'm right there with you. But, but I think in this particular case, Liam, what would you give this out of five, let's say, uh, in terms of a star rating? I'm inclined to two and a half. Um, yeah, I would say two and a half. But it, it's for me, I usually uh, uh, anything that I enjoyed, I usually bump up to three. Like three is sort of my base. Like, sure, this yeah, is not a great. This is not a great movie, but I still enjoyed it. But honestly, parts of this were extremely stupid. So it's really hard for me to. Thinking of some of the other movies, I'd give it a three two. I think this is actually a little bit below those. But if I was reviewing this on Letterboxd, I would still put a little note of like, I know this is a low rating because I really think the quality of the movie is not super high. But I think that anyone who enjoys George Kennedy or a certain level of like goofy horror movie, you can have fun with this. I, I, I get that for some folks, low budget horror is about gore or is about more extreme decisions. This movie doesn't make a lot of like wild choices but in another sense it does make a lot of wild choices so uh, I, I, i'm reminded again of the two gentlemen really selling their freak out in the theater room uh <laughs> that that has its own charm so yeah yeah i i said i i would say two and a half stars but but i i again with a caveat of i think a lot of people would enjoy this but i gotta be honest i don't think it's a supremely well-made movie on the next episode of george kennedy is my co-pilot i've feel like we've gotten a little away uh, from the greatness of George Kennedy, which doesn't isn't meant to suggest that Death Ship doesn't have a great George Kennedy performance. But I feel like at this point that I haven't convinced you, Liam, mm. that George Kennedy is a tremendous actor. And I feel like the best way to do that is to give you his film 
where he was most well recognized for his acting, which is 1967's Cool Hand Luke, which he won a Oscar for for Best Supporting Actor. Um, I want to ask you now, before we finish up today, have you ever seen Cool Hand Luke before? I have never seen it. What do you know about it? Uh, Paul Newman is in it. Yes, Paul Newman is in it. That's that's all I know. Do you know how many eggs he eats in it? A lot of eggs. I know he eats a lot of <laughs> eggs in it. Well, at least he's meant to. I, I would assume he didn't actually eat all those fucking eggs. Oh, now, I think he did eat a lot. Did he? Jesus Christ. I think he like got really sick. This is, this is why method acting is a bad idea. I'm just putting it out there. We'll learn all about how many eggs Paul Newman ate on the next episode of George Kennedy. <laughs> when we talk about Cool Hand Luke, I'm very excited by the fact that you haven't seen it before, Liam. I do predict that this is a movie that's really going to appeal to you, but I may be wrong. I've been wrong before. Sarah, have you seen Cool Hand Luke before? Yes, more yes. than once. Well, I'm, I don't want you to give away your feelings about it oh. or your your feelings on how many eggs that Paul Newman may or may not have eaten. <laughs> a million. <laughs> but we'll learn all about that on the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. Sarah, once again, thank you for taking the time to talk about the great George Kennedy. What have you been up to recently? Where can people find your work? Um, I'm just reviewing movies like a crazy person. Uh... I saw uh, The Woman King last night. I saw right. Pearl this week. I saw Barbarian this week. Where did you fall down in Pearl? I, I think most of it, most of the responses I've heard have been very positive. A couple of really negative ones. Where did you come down on that? Um, there were parts where I was just like, what the fuck? You know, this is just like super... Uh, it was a little bit boring in parts, I got to say. But then when I got it as the whole, I was like, oh, okay. Ty West, you crazy fucker. So I, I did like it. I liked it better than X. Um, so anyway, so you can uh, see my stuff in Austin Chronicle. Um, I'm part of the podcast group, One of Us. Um, Daily Grindhouse. I have a YouTube channel with my husband called The White Slaves of Chinatown, where we bring you Paracinema from all over the world. We uh, put up stuff that you can't find anywhere, um, you know, Nothing that's been put out on Blu-ray or anything like that. You can't find it streaming. Nothing. And then I'm on Letterboxd and Twitter at at FookThis. And we will, of course, link Sarah's uh, locations in the show notes today. Liam, what we have here is failure to communicate. What do you think about me saying that? Cool. That Not just cool. <laughs> cool Hand Luke. That's a line from that very famous movie. Liam, where can people find <laughs> where can people find more about George Kennedy as my co-pilot and other wonderful podcasts? Of course, they can head to CinePunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X uh, to find more episodes of this show, as well as a whole family of podcasts. Shameless Picture Show, Twitch of the Death Nerve, uh, The Carnage Report, Horror Business, a whole family of shows over there, including uh, Nifty uh, merch store. Uh, if they want to dive into our archive, they should head over to cinemasmorgasbord.com, where we have not just George Kennedy as my co-pilot, but Joe Dawowski, Praising Kane, um, Wild in the Streets, and a bunch of other uh, topics that we c tackle in the Cinema Smorgasbord Extended <laughs> Universe. That's right. You can, of course, find Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z, and I'm on there as well at Dunk at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And of course, Cinepunks and Cinema Smorgasbord are on Twitter as well, at Cinepunks uh, on both social networks, and at Cinema S-M-O-R-G on 
Twitter. If you're a fan of the podcast or any of our other podcasts, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? It's also a Patreon for Cinepunks that you can go over to cinepunks.com and check out the link to where you can get some bonus content. But for now, we need to take a little break from our love and respect for the career of George Kennedy. We're going to be back next time with legitimately a George Kennedy classic. Good night, everybody. Night, night. Lemon heads, my dad's boat. You won't go down cause my dick can float. We sail around the world and go port to port. Every time I come, I produce a quart. Put on your life best, let's drop anchor. There's a nice lady who I like to swank her.